love you, Bobby. You are the best, bud. You really are. Hey, so we say around here every single week four big statements. You know, the first one, welcome home. We believe Jesus, or we believe the Bible is a very big deal. We believe Jesus is the single biggest deal in the universe. And that when you believe that, you serve people in the name of Christ, folks that are in need, both here and around the world. And, and not everybody hears that and goes like, yeah, there, there are folks that just try to wrap their head around what that means. And in the, at the end of the day, I suppose what it really is about is it's, it is all about priorities. It's about what do we put first in our life? What do we put first right in the moment in front of us? What do we put first right the first step of the day or the first hour of the day, the first thought of the day? What do we do with all of the, those things when it comes to a priority? I read the story of a group of guys that went deer hunting in South Georgia, and they paired up in twos, and they got in the woods and got into their tree stands and all the places they're supposed to be, and they had a set time that they would meet back for lunch. And so on their way back, they, everybody had gotten there but two of the guys. And then slowly they heard somebody coming down the trail, and they looked around, and what they saw was this one guy that had a monstrous eight-point buck hanging around his neck as he was carrying the weight of it back out of the woods. He is flushed and he's out of breath and fig figuring out, man, these guys are going to be so excited. I got this beautiful buck. And one of the guys said, hey, where's Harry? And he said, well, he had some type of stroke or something and he's lying down back up the path a little bit. And they said, wait a minute, you actually brought the deer back and you left Harry on the trail? He said, yeah, I knew nobody was going to steal Harry. And so... <laughs> Come on, that's funny. I know some of you are sitting here thinking, you can't say stuff like that in a pulpit, Chuck. That's not, that's inappropriate. Well, has that ever been an issue? Seriously? I mean, come on. I think sometimes our priorities are everything. I mean, often when my priorities out of line, my day really hurts. Or when priorities are off in, in my work, things suffer. When, when priorities get off in my life, I, I am constantly trying to find a way to course correct to get back to what matters most. Pascal said one time, the last thing one knows is what to put first. It's not a great thought. The last thing most of us know is what is it that we need to put first in our life. I read a book some years ago called Swallow the Big Frog First. And the, the concept behind the entire book was built around whatever is the big, audacious, nasty thing you've got to tackle do it first, get it out of the way, like swallow the big frog first, and you're done. Just get that done. But I think in, in our lives, especially with our spiritual lives, we often take that like, like everything, and we say, okay, here's the sacred part of my life, and I'm going to, I'm going to compartmentalize that into Sunday. I, I might read the Bible a time or two. I might go to a midweek small group, but that's basically where I keep my spiritual life. And then I've got these other five days, and those are, those are the days, those are my work days. And we have this poor perspective that we can take our life and segregate it into what, what, it, what, what, it, what is sacred and what is secular. And the fact is, Jesus is not going to settle with us saying, this is the sacred and this is the secular. Jesus is saying, if you'll get me in the right priority in our life, then I will cover all of that for you, but you've got to invite me in to do that. That Jesus is the biggest deal in the universe for so many reasons, and I want to make sure that I can convey that. But I want to go back to the statement about welcome home. So we make these four statements every single week. Welcome home. We say it on our sign. 
Welcome home. We say it on billboards. Welcome home. We say it on a podcast. Welcome home. Everywhere I turn around, we say welcome home. But what does welcome home truly mean? I read this and adjusted it some, but I want to make sure I read it to you because I don't want to miss anything inside the heartbeat of these words. I earnestly believe that the church should roll the red carpet out for all people. And I mean all people. If you're searching or saved, black, brown, or white, if you're gay or straight, sure or unsure, well or sick, peace-filled or pain-filled, able-bodied or differently abled, no matter how many moms or dads or chromosomes or failures or successes or questions or dollars that you have, whether you have divorces or houses and boats and things, whether you have kids, no kids, no matter where you were born or where you were raised, my friend, welcome home. This is what we mean by welcome home. Now, I know, I, I get the concept that, that we say that, but the fact of the matter is, does it really have an impact on your life every week? I got a note in between services from somebody that said, one of the things I love about my church is that I can invite anybody to come to church. And I would say to you, if ever there's a place that the world ought to be able to come and worship, it is in the house of God. Now, if we will leave the judging to God, then we can leave the loving with us. We can leave all of that in his hands because he knows how to do it, and we have proven we're not good at it. And so when we say welcome home, this is what we mean. But then we go on and we say, we believe the Bible is a very big deal. It is a priority in our life. We believe from Genesis through the book of the Revelation that everything in there is God-inspired and inerrant, and it is there to give us guardrails, and it is there to give us direction, purpose, and correction in our life. And so I thought, well, I wonder if we could put as clear a statement together about what we believe about the Bible as we have about Welcome Home. So I gave this a shot. The, the Bible, we believe, is a guardrail and a freedom trail, a liberator and a life director, a history lesson and a promise book, an encouragement and a management tool. It gives us hope and life, and it recognizes our history, our present, and our hope for tomorrow. And we believe without any hesitation that when you say you are a follower of Jesus and you do not have the presence of the Holy Spirit spurging, spurring you on to say get in the word, we might ought to check our salvation and ask ourselves, why do I not have that urge in my life? And it could be because somewhere, someday, you thought you were born into Christianity, that you were born a Christian. When I hear people say, I've been a Christian all my life, the fact is that that's not so. You may have been raised in a Christian home, but I mean, being a donut doesn't make you a baker. Some of you are thinking, it might. I heard about this young banker, who's rising star at one of the big national banks, and He'd gotten his last promotion where he had a corner office, and it was awesome. But he needed to head across to the other state next door to visit his grandparents. And so he got in his brand new BMW 6 Series, and he fired that bad boy up, and he started to head out toward his parents' house. 
It had been snowing, and when he got over, across the mountains, you could tell it had snowed pretty heavily. But this guy driving the, that six series, man, he was headed. He was so proud to show mom and dad his new car, how successful he had been. But he hit a patch of ice, and that six series started sliding and heading on its way off of the curve, and it was headed toward this massive cliff. And so the last second, this guy being bright and sharp, undid his seatbelt, flung himself from the car, and watched his brand new six series crash at the bottom and burst into flames to the fact that he didn't even realize what had happened to him when he jumped out where there there had been a truck that had been following him and the truck got stopped in time to see everything that had happened and they walked over and the the two guys in the truck looked at him and said dude what happened he said my bmw my my bmw and they looked and said dude you got bigger problems than that you tore your arm off when you jumped out of the car you don't have an arm suddenly he looked down he looked down he said my rolex my rolex is gone <laughs> okay come on <laughs> that that's one of those laughs like okay it's a preacher joke you think we're gonna laugh could could you just give me a little more love than that <laughs> it's like a laugh track on an old 70s show right yeah but priorities are everything we really believe the bible is the type of thing that it is so living and breathing that it not only cuts through marrow and bone, but it, what it does do is it radically shapes our life. And it is a part of what we believe God's doing in our life as sanctification and changing us from the inside out. The scripture that when you are a follower of Christ, that the spirit of God that lives within you ought to be prompting you constantly, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. And I know a lot of people who, are, who have been faithful followers of Jesus for years, decades even, and still want to know, I just don't know how to read the Bible. And so I want to encourage you today, you've heard it a hundred times, start in the Gospel of John, read a while, stop, and say, what did Jesus say about himself, and what does it mean to me? Then read a little bit longer. What did Jesus say about himself, and what, do I'm, what am I going to do about it? Then go to the book of James, where you find out that works and faith are hand and glove, and how, how is it then that I am to be a Christian in this walk? And when you start there, you're off to a great start. We believe the Bible truly is a guardrail and a freedom trail. But you know, when we get to that, we get to that third section and we say, okay, welcome home. We believe the Bible's a big deal. And we believe Jesus is the single biggest deal ever. Now we have folks that have challenges and problems. We have folks who, who say, but wait a minute, Chuck, there's no way that's simple. I've had people leave the church. I've had staff members leave the church because of that statement. We believe Jesus is the biggest deal. And I want to be clear with you. I believe as a follower of Jesus, you ought to be in the Bible. I believe you ought to be in the scriptures every day, maybe multiple times each day. But I would also say to you, the Bible is a tool to point you to Jesus. Jesus is the biggest deal. Jesus is who we make much of. Jesus is how we find our way to God, and Jesus is how we find eternal life. When I preached Claire White's funeral yesterday, I know she had been in the Word because she could talk to me about the Word. I know that she wasn't embarrassed of the Word. I know she taught her children the Word. And I know when she walked into heaven because she's a follower of Jesus, she continued to talk to the Lord about the Word. But my friend, she didn't get to heaven reading the Bible. She got to heaven by saying, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is who changed my life. Jesus is who died on the cross. The truth is that Jesus is the biggest deal. There are hundreds of hundreds of ways to try to make the case for while Jesus 
is the biggest deal. But let me take just a few moments and throw a few of them at you and see if there's something that you might recognize. Now, I believe there are three words that help understand why we say Jesus is the biggest deal. And those three words are this. I believe without any hesitation, Jesus is enough. Say it with me. Jesus is enough. Now, when you say that, what you're saying is, you know what? Denominations aren't going to die and save for me. The failings of the church aren't what keeps me from going to heaven. When I look at this and I think, because I don't understand the Bible, that's, that's going to hinder my progress. Maybe my education and my intellect might keep me from that, or possibly the need for complexity. I need to know I have to do a formula to find Jesus, Chuck. I need to find those things that are unbiblical or extra-biblical. There's no possible way, Chuck, it could be as simple of just saying, I call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Some of us just need tangible acts. We need to count stuff or do stuff, or we need to write enough checks. But the fact is, Jesus didn't ask for any of that. We believe without hesitation that this place, this body of believers is here because we are a Jesus is enough gathering of people that believe if Jesus is enough here, that we would go live Jesus is enough out there. And so the goal would be how do we get as many people focused on the fact that God's word is a very big deal, that his house we should feel welcome in, but more importantly than all those, can we get Jesus into our life and into the right priority of our life? So let me just throw a few of them at you. Here's one of my favorites. At no time do you have to go seek out and find Jesus. You don't have to call and make an appointment with the Lord God. There's no time in which you have to call and leave a voicemail and can you work me into your schedule because Jesus is knocking on your door. He is not out. He's not on a break. He is, he is not far away from you. He is right here, right now, waiting on you. I remember when Jen and I went down to the, uh, to, to the Buddhist temple down in Lilburn. You walk in, you take your shoes off, you look all around. It's fascinating. You ought to do it. And we walked through, and there's this place, if you haven't heard already, there's a place to the right that looks like lockers. And, and the lockers are locked. Like they've got a real honest, good master lock on them, you know? And so Jenny, being who Jenny is, looked at it and asked our guide, said, what's in there? And the guy said, shh, that's our gods. Being Jenny, she said, what? That's our gods. And she said, well, are they locking you out or are you locking them in? And he said, no, no, they're resting. She said, they're taking a nap? Your gods take naps? He said, no, they're resting. Resting means take a nap to me. And so we walked on, and we found a place where they had a, had a, a thing, like where four, four little hallways came to one, and it was this, this God they called, and it was the God of abundance. I'm all in now. So we stood there. The guy said, try it. It's going to be amazing. So we stood there. We looked. And I want you to realize it's been six years ago or so. There had not been a lot of abundance going on. And I looked at that, and I came away empty. But you see, there's not one time that, that I haven't been in a mess, that Jesus wasn't there. I didn't, I didn't need multiple gods. I need Jesus. He is enough. I didn't need a God who would say, you have to do this, and then I might do that. I needed a God that said, I know everything you've done, and I still love you. I still want you. I still want to die for you. I still want to give you forgiveness. And this is what happened. 
Because you see, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together. You have got to love the fact that Jesus wants to step into your life and have meatloaf, mashed potatoes, green beans, carrot souffle, fried yeast rolls, and honey butter. Can I get a I'm fired up? I'm telling you, man, I want a God who wants to walk with me and talk with me along the narrow road. But you know what else? Jesus is enough because when you're hungry or hangry or needy or broke, he knows exactly what you need. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians. And my God will supply every need. And he's going to do that according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? Leave it up for a minute, guys. Watch this. I know my God is going to supply everything I need. Why? Because it's up to his riches, not mine. And it is according to his son in Christ Jesus. So in other words, if he can do all I need, if he can deliver all that is necessary, I know he is enough. So I look at it and I said, but I'd like a few, a few more. I know there are people here today that they're afraid, they're anxious, uh, they're overwhelmed in life. They're everywhere. And I got to be honest with you, I have about every other day I feel that way. But one of the great things that, that is about our Lord is that he is ahead of you and he is mighty. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. This is the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. In preaching the last few funerals, one of the things that's been overwhelmingly wonderful is that they were all believers. My last three or four services have been all believers to the degree that we wouldn't call it a funeral, we would call it a celebration service. And I was able to say yesterday by the graveside to the family, that's not Claire. That's a pretty box. And this will be a nice and beautiful place to come sit, but that ain't Claire. She left this earth on her last breath and drew her next one when she was standing on streets of gold. My friend, he is enough always. Jesus is enough because he accepts who we are. He doesn't require getting our junk together. He never had a dress code and he didn't give us do's and don'ts outside of the laws of scripture. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8. What scripture is saying is, my friend, you don't have to fix whatever you've done to get all of Jesus that you need so you can have the forgiveness that you're desperate for. Now watch this. This is where folks get all freaked out. And, and they believe part of making Jesus a big deal is that they have to get something right in their life, some addiction, uh, something amazing. And some folks are out there, and you're saying right now, you're watching online or, or you're watching through the week sometime, you're in this room, and you're thinking to yourself, but Chuck, you can't imagine the foul mouth I have. Sure I can. I was in the building business before I was a pastor. Some of y'all in here, like Burn, Bubba, and Thumper, right now the Lord's saying, come on, dude, clean it up. And there's some of us sitting here right now saying, you know what, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about, Chuck. I mean, God loved me, and I didn't have to take a bath from my sin. He took me just like I was? Yes. And then folks say, well, well then do I have to get baptized? Well, no, you don't have to. 
Well, is that water special? No. I don't even have one of the things to throw it on you. But here's what I do know. I do know that if I faithfully follow Jesus, he will inevitably lead me not just to the word, but he will, he will lead me through the baptism waters because I will do for him what I want to do for him. It is not a statistic for the church. It is not a have to to go to heaven. It is a Jesus, I thank you for all you've done. I want to do that. I want to follow you. Jesus is enough because he can punch your ticket to heaven. Jesus is enough because he says, I'm going to take you to heaven. I'm going to give you direct access and direct relationship with God, your creator. Jesus alone can offer eternal life. You say, well, now, Chuck, does that mean that uh, on the view, when they say we all get to the top of the hill and we all go to heaven, we just come from all these different rays, are you saying that they're wrong? No, I'm saying they're very wrong. Because Jesus made this point abundantly clear in John 14. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It wasn't I'm an expert, I'm a good teacher. It's not that I'm a prophet. He is saying I am the way to God. I am the truth in all things, and I am the life that you can have today in abundance and eternity forever. And I look at that and I think, but... Is that enough for me? No. Where's Jesus when we're confused? I stay confused all the time. I mean, I'm 58 now. I forget junk that I would have never, ever forgotten. I remember several weeks ago, I was doing an illustration and a sermon, and I was doing, I was working so hard to pull up the thought of veterinarian. And the only thing that my mind could settle on was dog doctor. (laughs) And when I threw that out there, almost everybody in the center section went, I mean, seriously, aren't there days you're just confused? Jenny is convinced, unless she's in the car with me, I never show up where I'm supposed to. Well, I get my brain going on something, and I usually turn right. And you know what? She's saying, where are you going? Oh, yeah, we're going to Starbucks. Got it. That's left. But when we're confused about life and what happens, listen to this. In Philippians, Paul said, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, friend, Jesus is enough when you're broken. I love those sweatshirts that says your brokenness is welcome here. I love that picture because Jesus is enough when your life is broken. Because when you're broken, you need somebody to help put the parts back together. Here's what he says, and the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jesus comes and settles the issue. What happens when you are stressed? Jesus says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. You feel like you're alone, feel like there's nobody for you, seem like you're climbing up all by yourself, the rock is pushing you down the hill. Listen, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? He cares for you. You know, you say, Chuck, but listen, that sounds good, but I need medication for that. And what I would say to you is good for recognizing it. Go ahead and take it. God's, God's not freaked out about your need to do that. I've had it in our season in my life as well. But at the end of the day, all the medication in the world cannot solve what Jesus can solve. Nothing can take that stress, take that worry, take that anxiety quite like Jesus. You see, Jesus is enough because he died for you. Jesus is enough because he was buried for you. Jesus is enough because he raised from the dead for you so that you could be healed and forgiven and saved 
and adopted into his family. Jesus is the biggest deal because he alone can meet every single need. Listen, friend, if you're in this room, you're watching online or on Facebook, Jesus is the single biggest deal of all time. He never asked us to become something before he loved us. He simply loved us. You say, but Chuck, I have lived a life where there's not a lot here to love. I've made a ton of bad decisions. Well, if you're struggling with Jesus is the biggest deal, don't give up on me yet. But if you're here and you know that you are a Christ follower, I want you to hear these words and I want you to hear them loud and clear. If a person is going to say that they are a follower of Jesus and they don't have a prompting within them to be in Scripture and to love people unconditionally, I really believe that you have to bank on the historical, biblical evidence that Jesus himself is the only way. And if you are not prompted to be in his word, you might ought to question your salvation. Chuck, that's harsh. Well, now watch this. Why would God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in cooperation and collaboration in your heart, know that God created you, that Jesus has forgiven you, that the Spirit of God is to prompt you and direct you? If we believe that, why wouldn't his Spirit prompt us to be into his word as well? The evidence is there. Some 500 people interacted with Jesus historically between his resurrection and his ascension. But the real question is, do you know you have accepted that Jesus into your life? Is there a time in which you've been able to recognize that, wait a minute, my relationship with God is broken, it has been broken, it is broken, and I don't know how to fix it. Is there a time in the middle of that that you would recognize what Isaiah the prophet said, all of us like sheep have strayed away, we have left God's path to follow our own. I know folks who have been saved for 40 years and still neglect the word of God. And I really, truly, genuinely, they are wonderful people, but let me just stop and say, do you believe it's possible that the God who crafted and authored this word for us individually, do you believe he would come and live within us, take up residence within us, and say, don't worry about those 66 books. Don't worry about the fact that I wrote that for you. Don't worry about that. I believe that God is saying, listen, go love people. Love them in my name. Get in the word. Get your life in right priority. And when you do, friend, your relationship is no longer broken. It is whole. You say, well, Chuck, there has to be something that you do. Isaiah penned these words. He said, it is your sin that has cut you off from God. Your sin, my sin. Jesus said, our sins, no matter how great or small, they're going to result in eternal separation from God. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son. And his only son gave his life on an old wooden cross so that you and I, because of the shedding of his blood, we didn't have to go offer sacrifices. He was the last sacrifice, the one that's great enough for every sin, past sin, present sin, future sin. This is why he's enough. But there's no magic prayer that says, okay, I, I need to walk down an aisle. I need to talk to a dude. I need a dude to pray for me. And I need, I need a formula. Friend, listen, the New Testament doesn't give you a formula. The formula is so simple. Here's what the formula is. If you will call on the name of the Lord, he will answer you. If you will call on the name of the Lord, he will hear you. And you say, but Chuck, I don't know how to do the call on the Lord thing. 
Don't close your eyes. Don't, don't bow your head. But if today you'd say, I, I want to straighten that out. I, I, want, I want that call on the Lord thing settled. I, I, I want him to punch my ticket for heaven, and I want to have this life of peace, and I want to live in this, in this sense of spiritual abundance in my life while I'm here. I want all these things because I know he can do all these things. And you say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm so sorry that I've made bad decisions. Come live inside of me. Cause my life to change. I want to live for you and not me anymore. I'm so glad you died for me and you rose from the dead to pay for my sin. And if that's the prayer, the desire of your heart, listen, friend, God has promised you eternal life. You say, but Chuck, don't I have to give? Don't I have? No, you just have to trust. You just have to say Jesus is enough. My friend, here's the question for you. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, if you've been a believer five years, if you're a brand new believer as of three minutes ago, what are you going to do with Jesus? And is he enough? Because if he's not, you're missing out on the greatest life you could ever have. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we are grateful. We are grateful that we are a church where Jesus is enough. We are grateful that we are a people that Jesus is enough. And we are grateful that you have already done everything we need to do. Jesus, will you give these sweet people, folks watching online, would you allow them to live this adventure of faith and close relationship with you? Lord, I pray they would grab hold firmly of the promises to enter into life together with you and give them a new purpose and a new passion. Lord, we love you because you live we can face tomorrow. So Lord, cause us to awaken our faith and live like you this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.